0: Well, we're recording this what mm, three days before Christmas? Three, yes, except
1: this is technically now the first episode in the new year, or maybe the second. It's pretty close, though. Yeah,
0: yeah. How was your Christmas? Oh, the best Christmas! <laughs> well, it was we'll amazing. See. We'll see. We're planning on uh, driving to see the in-laws and seeing my family and things like that. But we're oh. supposed to get this huge winter storm. So you I don't know. Gr- you
1: you just glossed over all the driving. You're in that phase of life. I am in that phase. very first year of marriage. Sure, honey, we'll go see all the people.
0: Took the whole clan to Florida one year. Worst two weeks I've ever had in my life.
1: Yep. Ugh. I always wonder who, you know, if I have to be outside, like at all, like running anywhere, mm-hmm. I'm always like, who is driving on these days? <laughs> it are the It it's is me. the people who are it's me. obligated to go see all of the other people that they really don't want to see. I mean, yeah. you know, I i don't know.
0: The smell from the back shape was to unbearable. <laughs> you know, families. I family. I know that smell. I, able, oh, I know that smell.
1: I'm not trying to be a humbug, but I mean, the last thing you want to really do is leave oh. your house on Christmas. Yeah, oh. you just relax and do nothing.
0: Yeah, but that's not. But
1: that's not no, going to happen. Not the case. Well, you got New Year to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, it's all good. It'll, it'll calm down in January. Yeah, for sure. So we have a new sponsor. Okay. Of the podcast that we're going to announce starting. I don't, I don't know about this. Well, it's been, you know, yes, you do. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, you do. Uh, I mean, we are in the, what, 400th episode or something like that, getting close to mm-hmm. it. Uh, basically, that means we have done this podcast for the last couple of years. And for those of you who are not aware of how this whole thing began, it was really a soul-searching uh, opportunity by yours truly to figure out how to provide more value to people that we may not meet on a daily basis inside the walls of our business. So we handle money for a living. we work with people with uh, you know larger net worths typically or young you know professionals on their way to larger net worths and that's great. We love what we do, but there's a whole swath of individuals out there that I think can benefit from our message and some of the basic tenants. So that's what started the podcast. That's how DIY Money was born. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine it would get to where it is today. And along the way, there probably hasn't been a week that has gone by that we haven't gotten some solicitation to advertise, promote, market, affiliate, blah, 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 And if you've listened to the show, other than a slip that happened, like, a month ago, which was totally random, we didn't even approve that, we've never had advertisements, ever. And the reason is, is that we're not going to do a personal finance podcast and then turn around and advertise a multi-thousand-dollar product that you really (laughs) don't need. I'm just not going to do it for a few bucks to put in our pocket. So, we now have a new sponsor, and I'm proud. I'm very proud of this new sponsor, proud to represent this new sponsor. You're all going to laugh, but it makes total sense that the DIY money podcast is now at least presently exclusively sponsored by jewel financial. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) That's right. So jewel financial proud sponsor of the DIY money podcast. I have waited a long time for this moment. Jewel Financial is a fiduciary advisor located in central Kentucky servicing individuals all over the United States. Visit us on the web at JewelFinancial.com. That's J-O-U-L-E, which is, by the way, the power of energy. Jewels, for example. J-O-U-L-E Financial.com. I'm liking this
0: new sponsor already.
1: Yeah, it's a great sponsor, right? But hey, the powerful difference is what we like to say, uh, Jewel Financial. So, If you're out there, if you've been a listener of the podcast for a long time and you're like, you know what? Some of these things, I might need an advisor. Give us a little ring-a-ling and maybe we can help you out. We'll set up a Zoom call again. We work with folks all over the United States and you can learn more about our services at jewelfinancial.com. Boom. All right, let's go to our question from Rachel in Reno. Rachel, what do you got? D-I-Y. Hey, DIY Money. This is Rachel in Reno. I was hoping you guys could... Tell me a little bit about the differences between the S&P 500 options out there. I feel like I'm finding a million different ticker symbols of varying costs, and I'm not really sure what I'm looking at. I'm new to investing, and I'm just trying to dollar-cost average my way into the market. If you guys have any insight or direction, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for all you do. Love the podcast. Oh, Rachel in Reno. Have you ever been to Reno? I have not. I have a cousin that lives in Reno, I think. I'm almost positive, or one of the towns very close to Reno. But only went, you know, like, boom, popped in, visited, then headed out very quickly. So didn't get to spend a lot of time there in in Reno. I love Reno. All right. Rachel, S&P 500 index funds, for the most part have become commoditized over the last several years. What does that mean? Well, a commodity is something that is basically the same uh, wherever you get it. Now, there could be slight variations, which we'll talk about in a second, but a good commodity to think about would be unleaded gasoline. So when you're driving in town and you are looking to fill up, you are going to go to the station on the corner or on the side of the road that is cheaper than the other. It's basically the same gasoline. Although sometimes it's not. I tell you, I get a much longer distance with Sam's Club gasoline than I do from Kroger. And I'm kind of a a normal Kroger guy because I get those points and I get that. But when I fill up at Sam's, it seems like it goes a long distance. Sam's has nice prices too. They sure do. Yeah. 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 Anyways, so that's the general idea of the commodity, meaning the S&P 500, first of all, Is an index. So understand what you're investing in. You may know some of this, but I'm going to share it with you anyways. The S and P 500 is the Standard and Poor's 500 index. That is, first of all, uh, the name of a business. Standard and Poor's. Uh, They were a, I believe, research company around the turn of the century. Uh, They have since been bought by McGraw Hill Companies and turned into S and P Global. Uh, Institute, I think SPGI is the ticker symbol. They track a basket of stocks, predominantly the 500 largest companies in the United States, broken into 11 sectors. Uh, I won't go through them all, but you could probably guess things like technology, healthcare, financials, materials, utilities, etc. They are different in their weightings each sector, as well as every stock. And there's a formula behind that. The formula is basically comprised of a company's market cap. So the price of the stock times all of the shares outstanding. Theoretically, it could be what you could buy the company for. So if you wanted to know what you could buy Apple for, you could look at the Apple's market cap and you could say, okay, for... Slightly less than a trillion dollars, I could own all of Apple. Now, I say theoretical because if you went into the marketplace and tried to buy up all the shares, what would happen? Well, the stock price would go up considerably and the market cap would go higher. It would kind of be this elusive chase. You really wouldn't be able to do it. Ultimately, however, the size of the company or the market cap determines the position within the SP 500. Over time, Sector weights change, individual position change uh, in the in the group, meaning some go out of favor, some come into favor as far as size is concerned, and they're often rebalanced. Positions leave the S&P 500 or kind of be booted out of the S&P, and there's new positions added. It is historically one of the best ways to invest. It is one of the most efficient tax-efficient, cost-efficient methods by which to invest in the market. And over the years, you're hard-pressed to find an active-managed fund, as opposed to the index, an active-managed fund that beats the index performance. Now, a lot of research has been done upon this, and they've realized that a lot of it has to do with the fees, meaning when you go to an active manager, you're paying a fee, With an index, you're paying a fee, but it's often very, very small or nothing at all. Now, back to your question. Again, being a commodity, the differentiating standpoint is going to be then the fees. So you can look at all of these until you're blue in the face, and you could kind of say, well, this one's, 0.015, but this one's 0.014. So I want to go over to this one and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I think what you should do is just look at wherever you're investing, whether it's Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, whatever it may be, look for that particular index fund. So the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, um, or the Fidelity S&P 500 index fund, um, or the Schwab, again, and More often than not, that's going to be the cheapest method by which you can invest in the S&P 500 and just choose that. Don't get too cute. Just invest. Now, I'll let Logan touch on this. There is a slight variation of some S&P 500 funds. My guess is you're not coming across those, but some investors or some listeners out there may, so I'll let him touch on that.
0: And add whatever color you want to.
1: My favorite color's green. I like green. I like green.
0: Yeah. Uh, before we, before I get into that part, what do you think between buying a mutual fund versus buying an ETF when buying in the S and P five hundred and continually buying it? So with the S and P five
1: hundred, I would favor the index fund, the mutual fund, mm-hmm. um, because you can immediately get every single dollar and cent working on your behalf. So if you were looking, let's say at the Vanguard, let's say you were in a Fidelity or something, and you could buy the Fidelity S&P 500 Index Fund. I'm assuming that's what it's called. They sometimes have some weird names for them, but whatever. The Fidelity S&P 500 Index Fund, or you could buy the iShares SPY ETF. More than likely, first and foremost, the SPY ETF is probably cost a little bit more, but you would have leftover money. So you're not more than likely going to be able to buy fractional shares in the SPY. You're going to have to buy a round lot. So 10 shares, 15 shares. And if it's trading at, let's say $100 and you have a nice round number in your account, then yeah, every dollar gets to work as opposed to if you don't have a nice round number or, you know, the dollar amounts changing with the SPY, you won't be able to buy exactly the entire amount. So that's why I like sticking with the mutual fund because you can just get the entire amount invested.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to touch on the, the other part you mentioned about other ways that they have the S&P 500 basically calculated. And the biggest one is the equal weighted S&P 500. So like Quint was mentioning, the S&P 500 right now, the sector weightings, the weighting of each stock in um, the, the index is is based on their market cap, so how big the company is. So for instance, Apple, Microsoft, Google, those are very large, and they make up a good percentage of the S&P 500. If you wanted to invest in something that wasn't as concentrated in, let's say, technology, or in those very large companies, you could look at investing into an equal weight S&P 500. Um, And they have funds, they also have ETFs for that as well. So you invest in the equal weight, And what that does is it doesn't mean every sector is exactly the same, but each stock is weighted equally. So each of the 500 stocks have the same percentage in the fund. And by doing that, you make it not as concentrated to some of those really large and big companies and maybe some of the smaller companies that could perform well, especially after things have been crushed and come in significantly. Some of those smaller companies may perform better and the equal weight could perform better than the S&P 500. But over the last 10 years, if you look at research and data, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything that can beat the S&P 500 normal index.
1: Fun fact for those home gamers that are interested, we actually as a firm are dialing back some of our market cap-weighted index positions and adding some equal weight positions inside the index now gets getting a little meticulous. And again, looking a little bit under the hood. I don't necessarily think that's you know uh, something that someone who's dollar cost averaging just getting started as an investor needs to be all that concerned about. But I find it fascinating and happy to relay in that, as Logan alluded to, over the last several years, technology uh, and f- healthcare and financials have taken the predominant top spots within the market cap weighted S and P 500. Uh, so much so that they've kind of led the led the ship. I mean, if technology is doing well, the S and is doing well. If they're not doing well, it's not doing well. However, underneath the surface, there are other sectors that are starting to emerge due to a variety of reasons that have done exceptionally well and may continue to do so. The most uh, notable being energy. This year, the energy sector in 2022 is up something like 50 percent. Literally, uh, companies inside that sector, many of which were up 60, 70, 80 percent. Unfortunately, didn't really do much at all for the S&P 500 because coming into the year, it had like a 2% weighting inside the S&P 500. It was so very small. So now being up 50, 60%, it has like a 3 or 4% weighting, not that much at all. But basically, if energy or materials or utilities or some of these other sectors start to emerge over time, inside the market cap weighted they will certainly take a greater position they just will uh, 20 years ago technology was not even close to the position well that's not true <laughs> that was the top of twenty two thousand, so that's not 30 years ago the sm in the inside the s&p 500 technology was not nearly the size that it was uh that it is today uh just like energy may Become you know more of a forefront, or materials may become more of a forefront, et cetera. So one of the things that we're doing in, in our firm is just reshuffling a little bit, removing out of the index, uh, the market cap weighted index, more to the equal weight. But Rachel, for the purposes of your specific question, I would find and focus on fees. I would I would find a mutual fund that you're that you're using that has the lowest fees, um, and stick to it, and don't worry about it dollar cost average. Uh, it will automatically be on uh, automatic dividends and interest in, as far as reinvestment. So you don't have to worry about that. And it will serve you very well
0: over the long run. Great question. Thanks so much. Did you have anything else to add, Logan? No, I, just, I, I think a lot of people ask, oh, well, shouldn't she have a lot more diversification than just the S&P 500? But the beautiful thing about the S&P 500 is, like you said, they add stocks to it. Um, they make adjustments. The companies that do well become a greater portion of the S&P 500 over time. And also, you're diversified across the whole U.S. economy. So you actually do have some diversification in those different sect- sectors. And when you're just starting out and just getting into investing, I think this is one of the best ways to start. Well, and think
1: about it. You're you're investing in 500 companies. Exactly. 11 sectors, 500 companies. So you are... Very diversified. I have people say, "Well, yeah, but what about um, owning international?" Well, remember, over fifty percent of the revenue from uh, the S and P five hundred comes from international exposure. So, as the international markets, um, you know, are evolving, then certainly these groups are evolving as well, or these companies are evolving as well. So, you get your exposure uh, to the international uh, in addition to the domestic, and then finally. As Logan said, and I really want to—I really want to make this a, a strong case—is that you don't have to worry about trying to pick the next big winner. So, if, for example, Tesla you know, starts to emerge as a great company down the line. I mean, they're a great company now, but let's say the stock's not off fifty percent and and starts to, you know, really become a leadership type company and the price goes up and up and up. Well, it's going to take it's going to create larger market cap for that company. Therefore, it's going to take a larger position inside the S P five hundred. So simply by owning the S P five hundred, you are going to be owning Tesla. It's as simple as that. I tell people all the time when you own the S&P 500 prior to Twitter being bought out, I said, yeah, you own some Twitter. And they're like, no, I don't. I... Yeah, you do. You own the S&P 500. And believe it or not, before it was acquired uh, or you know went private, Twitter was inside the S&P 500. So it's a great mechanism by which to see the, the companies that are evolving and, and becoming great be put in, grow, and ultimately become successful. And you don't have to worry about picking them. Yep, absolutely. All right, great question. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks a lot, Rachel. Thanks a lot.
1: Please send those questions in. Uh, We we continue to need questions, and uh, the ones that we're getting are phenomenal. So please keep them coming. Podcast at DIYMoney.org. That's podcast at DIYMoney.org. And remember, the secret to wealth is pretty simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one.